Hi, this is Candy O'Terry, and welcome to the story behind her success. We interview women who make headlines and women who are doing things quietly, well, because that's just the right thing to do. And you are just about to meet one of them. Betsy Satharis, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming. Thanks, Candy. I'm really excited to be here. You know you're doing something right when your daughter writes in and suggests that you be featured on a show. She says that you are her role model. Her name is Lily, and I just so appreciated getting her note. That was a real surprise to me, and she let me know once you had responded to her. I was really surprised. (laughs) She's not at all a sneaky person, and she's the world's worst liar. So if she had said anything to me or I had got any idea that she had done this, she would not have been able to hide it. But I was really honored. Well, there's a reason for it, and that's because you've had an incredible career so far. A lot of things to talk about. Tell me about the Cape Cod Times Needy Fund. What's the mission? The mission is to provide financial assistance for Cape Cod residents for those who are struggling with a temporary financial crisis. It's a really simple mission, but a really powerful mission because it really helps to stabilize households. And I believe that stabilized households create stronger communities. You know, people have a hard time believing that people on Martha's Vineyard and on Nantucket would have need, but you know that's not true. That's absolutely not true. I have a cartoon in my office that shows what lawmakers think about what's going on in Cape Cod and what we know to be true about what's going on. We have a seasonal economy, and the season has been stretched out as the years have gone by, but we have a primarily seasonal economy with people in the service industry, and they have to make their income that they acquire throughout those seasonal months last all year long. And pretty much for most of them, one thing can tip over that apple cart or break the budget. And that can be anything from an illness to a breakup of a marriage to a child needing some extra care or mental health or especially on Cape Cod, substance abuse issues. So it's most people, they're one crisis away from their whole life being in disarray. I'm going to guess that your door is always open to people who literally say, I never thought I would need to ask for help. That is exactly who our door is open to, because a lot of people who are living maybe below the poverty line, they have access to federal and state resources, but we help a lot of people who don't have access to those resources, and they've never been in need before. They typically don't know where to turn. We are unique in that we look at everything on a case-by-case basis candy, which most places look into the past. What did you make on your taxes last year? That is in no way an accurate representation of where a family might be when they make the call to us. So we really look at everybody and their circumstances in real time. You know, that's a really big responsibility. You're the executive director and you have so many people asking for help. Is it ever hard to have to say no to somebody or do you try not to ever do that? That's always hard. We like to balance our donors' expectations with the mission of the organization, and it's really about a temporary financial crisis. If you're seven months behind in your mortgage and you're underwater in every area of your life, we're really not the organization that can help you with that. We will do intense resource and referral with you, though. So it's not that we're just saying no. We're saying no, but please try this. And we try to say no in an understanding and helpful way, not just a flat-out shutting of a door. Nonprofits always have a story because they're always born out of a need. Tell me the really cool story of the Cape Cod Times Needy Fund. Well, that is an interesting story because we officially started in 1936. But prior to that, it was a group of volunteers who were going around to homes with holiday meals. And of course, once they did that, they discovered that the needs were greater. And so this group of 
volunteers got together and decided to start this Cape Cod Times Needy Fund, which was originally the Standard Times, so it was the Standard Times Needy Fund. And in the first year of 1936, they helped 10 families with basic needs. And it grew from there, and it became an incorporated nonprofit in 1983. And I actually have a kind of a cool story to go along with that, because when I was 19 years old, I did an internship at the Cape Cod Times. I was just walking by the publisher's administrative assistant at the time, and she said, Betsy, Betsy, come here. And I went into her office, and she had two shoeboxes on her office desk. And she goes, look at this. And she had index cards in one with requests for help and money, cash, in another box to give out to those who needed help. And at the time, a wishing well, a giant wishing well, sat out during the holidays in front of the Cape Cod Times offices where people could drop donations. And she said, I want to read some of these to you and ask you what you think I should give them. So I sat and heard a few of the stories. And then, of course, after that, thought nothing of it. And little did I know at the time that that was kind of a whisper of my future. You know, I don't think anything like that happens by accident. I don't either. I really don't. Let's talk about the pandemic and how that affected need. I'll tell you, first of all, we were prepared, Candy. We had started several years ago a program through the Cape Cod Times Needy Fund called the Major Crisis Relief Fund. And it was a program designed to respond to a major crisis or disaster. Now, of course, living on Cape Cod, we thought it would be a hurricane or some sort of weather disaster. And so did the person who gave us the seed money to start this program. And we were all designed and set up to do that. We never thought a pandemic but we were set up with this program to hit the ground running. And so within 24 hours, we were able to take phone call requests for assistance, literally within 24 hours. At that point, we went into full fundraising gear and raised over $800,000 for that one effort and began giving people help right away. What is your goal over the course of a year? How much money do you try to raise and how have you been doing so far this year? Well, we always try to raise a little bit more than we raised the year before. And we just had our summer appeal and our goal was only 100000 and we raised double that. So I know that our overall goal this year will be over $1 million. We raised $1.3 last year. People on Cape Cod are very generous because they do understand the seasonal nature of the economy. And they get that when, especially second homeowners... They understand that when they're there, they need those services, and that when they leave, those people who provide those services remain. They're invested in safeguarding the community. Well, for somebody who's listening who feels like you've got the kind of nonprofit they want to donate to, tell us how to do that. Uh, That's easy. You can mail a check to P.O. Box 804, Hyannis Mass, 02601, or go online to our website, www.needyfund.org. And we'd be happy to take your donation. We get donations in every amount from $1 up to over $50,000, and every single one counts and helps the community. Let's talk a little bit, Betsy, about motherhood, because Mm -hmm. when we began the show, we talked about how your daughter, Lily, nominated you to be featured on this program. And now just within a few minutes of getting to know you, I can certainly see why. How did you change when you became a mom? Mm, My goodness. I have two daughters, by the way. One is uh, 31 and Lily's 22 at this point. How did I change? Your life becomes very focused on others' needs and you understand that you have these people in your life who are dependent at first on everything that you do. And so every decision you make affects them. It's not just about you anymore. So it's certainly an expansion of your empathy, for one thing. It also is more stressful. Since my daughter Lily was 12, I was a single parent. 
and I had no time for anything except work and what she needed and what was going on in her life, really. Even my friends fell by the wayside during this time. It was hard to get together with them. It was hard to do anything beyond those two things. So it's a real focusing of and shifting of priorities. And also, Candy, just an expansion of love. Breast cancer diagnosis. Walk mm-hmm. me through that. Well, there's some history in my family. My mother died of breast cancer when I was just 19. She was diagnosed when I was 16. So I have had a lot of influence in my life that surrounds the issue and topic of breast cancer. I had no idea what breast cancer was. had never even heard of it at age 16. I don't think I had even heard the word cancer uttered. And suddenly there were books in our house about breast cancer, and we were going to Dana-Farber, and my life was just turned upside down. And then she died when I was young. And so as I approached her age at diagnosis, I actually started to become very fearful. It was sometimes in the front of my mind, sometimes in the back of my mind, but it was definitely on my mind. And one day sitting in a class, a course that I was taking through the Institute for Nonprofit Practice, I started to not feel well. And I went to my gynecologist who actually diagnosed me in one breast with a mastitis infection, which is so unusual. I mean, I was done with childbearing and it was so strange, but that infection saved my life because when I went, he looked at me and he said, you skipped a mammogram. You shouldn't do that, Betsy. You have this history in your family. And so I went and got my mammogram and it turned out I had breast cancer, not in that breast, but in the other breast. And it was early stage. I thank my body because it spoke to me and it led me to where I needed to be in order to survive. You talked about losing your mom when you were 19 to breast cancer. And I lost mine when I was 18 years old. I was 14 when she was diagnosed. It's very life changing to lose your mom. Oh, yes. Walk me through that a little bit. I would say for the most part, I kind of checked out because I didn't understand all that was going on. And at the time, I think my family, you know, to their credit, they wanted to shield me and they wanted to protect me from it. So a lot of the conversations around it and a lot of the activity around it was shielded from me and hidden from me. And so when big things did happen, it came more of a shock. I remember the night that she died because she died at home. And at that point time, you couldn't have in-home hospice. So it was a pretty gruesome death. And I remember an hour before she died, thinking there'd be a miracle. Somehow there was going to be a miracle and praying for that miracle. It was just a real shock. And I never got to know my mother as a woman, which is such a loss. I So many questions, so many stories. That's I, how I feel too. You know, oh. she didn't see me get married. She didn't see me have my babies. No. She didn't see me graduate from college. No, There's holes, right? Right. And even beyond her not seeing me do things, my not knowing who she was mm-hmm. as a woman, and a person beyond mother and what her dreams were, what her hopes were, what her fears were. My mother was pretty depressed for a good portion of her life and I think a stifled creative. And if she hadn't had that and as I grew and was able to converse with her and help her, I really think she would have blossomed. And it's it's just, it's a loss on so many levels. You know, I believe that we are who we are based on how we were raised. So let's talk a little bit about that. Let's go back to your upbringing. Where are you from? Tell us a little bit about your hometown. I grew up in Marion, which is a lovely seaside town. But when you're a teenager, not so lovely, not a lot to do. My friend and I used to sarcastically refer to it as the Mecca of the universe. But looking back, I can see what a beautiful town it was to be raised in. You know, pretty much safe. You could get on your bike and disappear all day, which I did. And you just went out and found friends. And it was really a lovely childhood in that way. What changed for me, and I think what 
brought me into the human services world was my father was a teacher and he lost his job in the union strikes in the late 70s. And prior to that, he would come home from teaching. My mother would greet him at the door. They would kiss. I would go and crawl between their legs and look up. And then we'd go into the family room and have tea and toast. And this was a daily ritual. And then when he lost his job, he became very depressed. And that all changed. And it changed pretty rapidly. So by the time I was a young adult, you know, not quite a teenager, my father was finally getting back on his feet and he went into construction. He just completely changed. He was a woodworker, beautiful woodworker, and he changed his career, but not without some lingering anxiety and just lingering resentment. And we were never at the level we were at for lifestyle. And so what started to happen was my parents would sit at the dining room table after dinner each night and I'd go in the living room and sit and wait and there was always a fight about money candy. And it was so sad and I just never felt safe. That had a real impression on me that I was not going to let that happen to me in my lifetime and I didn't want to see other people struggle like that either. Are you an only child? No, but kind of raised as one because my oldest sister, who also just passed away from breast cancer as well, Yes, big line in my family. Oh my goodness. Yes. She's 19 years older than me. And my other sister, Bettina, is 14 years older than me, who also had breast cancer. And, but she's living healthfully and well. She was really a strong mentor in my life. And there's a family story that my mother really had me for her. So most of the <laughs> pictures are of her holding me as a baby. And we're very, very close. And she's really been a strong mentor in my life. Was there a message in your house, something, you know, I, I often call it a golden rule, something that was most important when you were being raised? My father was honest to a fault. So I did get that from him. And I really valued that and appreciated that about him. He was just a very honest man with a good sense of humor. My mother was more depressed. And my father was old fashioned, though. So he did not allow her to work, which would have really helped our family. He believed strongly that a woman's place was in the home. He was a product of his upbringing. <laughs> and having seen my mother struggle and wanting to work, again, I was the watcher in the family. Let's talk a little bit about your decision to go into the work that you're doing. So talk about college. Well, I went to Colby in Maine, and I started out as a business major. And the one and only class I ever fell asleep in was Accounting 101. I literally fell asleep head bang on desk. <laughs> I, I debits and credits, and now I have to use them in my work all the time. But at the time, I just thought, oh, I cannot do I this. I cannot do I this. I can't do this. And so I switched to an English major. And I love words. I love writing. And that was, so that was my initial degree. But then from that, my mother died at that point. And so I was adrift. I didn't know what I wanted to do, had no idea, went into retail. And I almost fell asleep at that job as well, but it just wasn't for me. And that's not to knock that some people are great at it and they're great at promoting things and helping people feel good about what they're buying. It just wasn't going to be for me. So I went from that to community action committee work and I brought the first child care voucher agency to Cape Cod through Community Action Committee, which helped people access affordable child care. And we fought tirelessly for improving the wages of child care workers. They are really some of the lowest paid workers in the country. And they're doing, from my perspective, one of the most valuable jobs in the country. It's astounding to me. So that was my first job. And then while I was there, I went and got my master's in psychology. 
and I saw this job advertised in the paper for the Cape Cod Times Needy Fund. And you said to yourself, wait a minute, Hmm. I was there when I was 19 years old. Yes. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I've brought this agency down. It's really running itself. It was really running itself at that point. And then I got my degree and I thought, I think I can combine my degree in psychology and put it to good use in this job. And in the meantime, I was doing part-time counseling also for people who were primarily substance abusing, which is also a very difficult, very high burnout arena to be counseling in. Almost all of my clients were addicted to heroin, and it was very troublesome. So I went from that and then thought, okay, I can combine all this experience and do some good here. And when I went to my interview, (laughs) the main interviewer at the publisher of the paper at the time said, you know, Betsy... We're looking for longevity. Do you think you could give us two years? I thought, hmm, I, I think I can give you two years. Well, I did just start my 25th year, Candy. So, and I have found it to be a perfect blend of some of my business background. My listening skills are put to great use there. I think listening is one of the most valuable skills that a person can have and share. And we get clients every day who haven't been heard or need to be heard, want to be heard, and are in pain. And so it was a perfect combination of my skill set, and it gave me the opportunity to give back to the community. I want to talk a little bit about this breast cancer Mm. history in your family. And in particular, I want to talk about your two daughters now. How do they feel, and how much do you worry? Because when breast cancer is in your family, it is a burden, isn't it? It is. And my grandmother also had it, my great-grandmother. And as I said, my sister recently passed from it, and my other sister also had it. So the interesting thing is I did all of the genetic testing, and I have none of the markers. So as the genetic testing person said to me, there are certainly other markers that they haven't discovered yet. But for all of the ones that they have, I'm negative. And part of it for me, I believe strongly that stress has an impact on our health. And I was extraordinarily stressed at the time that I got diagnosed. First of all, I had my own self-induced stress, worrying about whether I was going to get it at that time. Nonprofit work is stressful. I can't say that it isn't. And then being a single parent is equally stressful as well. And I had decided somehow that I was never going to find my partner. (laughs) So there was that stress too. I was like, oh, I'm terrible at this dating thing, and that's it. I'm never going to find my person. So I had a lot of stress going on. I believe for me that had a large impact on, I hate to say creating the cancer because that sounds so blaming and makes you feel guilty, but I think it had a part in it. And so I'm a little less worried about my daughters because I don't want to brag about it, but I think I've been a good mom. And I think I've given them a lot of love and a lot of tools and resources to go into the world with better ability for self-care, self-reflection and armed with the knowledge about it, too. It was a secret, as I said. It felt like a secret when my mother had it. It's not a secret in my family. You know, they used to call it the C word. Yes. Yeah. They used to whisper it. And I remember, too, in my experience, that when I had my daughter, Colleen, in particular, I made it a priority in my mothering to not repeat some of the same mistakes that I saw my mother make. Yes. The world is not soft, but we can spare our children some things sometimes, too. Education and knowledge is power. I think one of the best books I ever read on parenting growing up was The Blessing of a Skin Knee. I did not want to shield them from everything. I wanted them to understand that the world is not soft, and you will fail, and 
you need to have the internal resources to pick yourself up and move on and go on. And I think you get that from loving support, knowing that there's a loving, supportive person in your corner. Betsy, we both know that when our mothers die or when they're sick, our lives change and we have to also. Yes. It set me on a path to being a super achiever and becoming hyper independent, which is something you have to kind of unlearn later in life. And you have to learn two lessons on the flip side of that, which is that not to let the perfect be the enemy of the good and that you can take a break and that it's okay to say, I can't do this and take a rest. And both of those lessons are learned out of that tragedy. Next three questions we ask everybody who sits where you are today. When an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it? I think it's a little cliche, but I try not to problem focus, but solution focus. And I do strongly believe in the symbol. I, I believe the Asian symbol for, or Chinese symbol, Mandarin for danger, which is crisis and opportunity. And what is this teaching me? And what do I need to learn from this problem? And how can we turn this problem into something that benefits us all and that not so much to overcome or change, but how can we make something better out of this? And what is it here to teach us? Best piece of advice you've ever received? It's about security. Someone once said to me that security, Betsy, is not about having the car, the house, the money, all of those things. Security is knowing that if all of those things are taken away from you, Can you go on? Will you rise up and thrive? Final question. And Betsy, thank you so much for being my guest today and for sharing your story with us. What does success mean to you right now at this very moment? For me, it's really about was I authentic today? Did I add more hope and love in the world? That I think is so important. Did I do that in some small way in my family, at work, in the community, in my neighborhood, with my friends? did I add to the general enrichment of the world? I want to say thank you so much, Betsy Satheris, for sharing your story and being in the spotlight this week on the story behind her success. And thanks to Lily for nominating you. And thank you, Candy, for this platform and giving a voice to so many. Thank you. And that's the story behind her success for this week. If you know a woman I should interview for the show, reach out and tell me about her. Just go to my website, candyoterry.com. There's also a full library of stories for you to listen to anytime you need a little dose of inspiration. Follow me on Facebook at Candy O'Terry Official and on all other platforms at Candy O'Terry. And whether you're listening on one of our radio affiliates or from your smartphone, we'll have a fresh episode for you next week on the story behind her success. And remember, when we lift each other up, we all rise.